good evening. Good to be together tonight. Is this on? Can you hear me okay? No, it's not on. I'm getting yeses and I'm getting noes. Yeah, it, uh, okay, yes, yes. You can hear me okay, right? Okay, yes. We'll just go with that then. Good to be together tonight. Appreciate the time we've been able to spend in worship. Ben said this morning that he was going to bring his A-game, that he was told to bring his A-game, and I think he did. Appreciate him leading us in worship. I don't know why we're, we're not really surprised about that, because all of our song leaders do such a good job in leading us every single week in praise to our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Appreciate all of those others who have led us in worship, both this morning and tonight. Looking forward to spending just a little bit of time as we continue to go through the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark the 6th chapter. Mark chapter 6. And if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in verses 14 through 29. If you'll join me there, Mark chapter 6. Verses 14 through 29. If we go back several months, all the way to the beginning of our study of the Gospel of Mark, perhaps you remember in the first eight verses of Mark, we talked about the life and the ministry of John the Baptist. And we had several things to say about his life, several things to say about his ministry. For instance, his ministry and his life is the beginning of the Gospel story. According to Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, if we want to know the Gospel and we want to tell the story of Jesus, we have to begin with John the Baptist. If we want to know about Jesus, we have to begin with his precursor, John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way for him. John the Baptist is the one who fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. According to chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, you go back to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, and John the Baptist is that messenger sent by the Lord to prepare the way for the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, he is the one who is crying out in the wilderness, the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the the way of the Lord. John the Baptist exemplified a very powerful ministry in verses 4 and 5. He was a powerful teacher, a powerful preacher. What we're going to see tonight in Mark the 6th chapter is that he was not afraid to stand for the truth. He wasn't afraid to preach what was right. And he, had, he elicited a very powerful response from those who heard him preach. They would repent of their sins. They would confess their sins. They would be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins in the muddy waters of the Jordan River. People would travel from all over the region, all over the world, just to hear John preach and to be baptized by him in the Jordan River. Perhaps you remember that even Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, traveling a long distance from the city of Nazareth to the Jordan River. John the Baptist, even though he... He exemplified a very powerful ministry. He lived a very simple life. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 and verse 6 that he lived in the wilderness, referring to an uninhabited place. He lived in off the land. His lifestyle, his clothing, his diet was defined by great simplicity. And then ultimately, what I think is most important about John the Baptist is that he was one who pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist pointed towards the one who was coming after him, the one who was mightier than him, the one whose sandal straps he wasn't worthy to untie. In contrast 
baptized with himself, who baptized with water. John the Baptist pointed forward to the one who would have the capability to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, ever since the first eight verses of the Gospel, John has been absent from the narrative. We haven't heard anything from John the Baptist. We haven't seen anything from John the Baptist. That is, until we come to our text tonight, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. If you look at the title of our lesson tonight, if you remember our Scripture reading, which Taylor read for us just a few moments ago, What happened to John the Baptist? He was martyred. Murdered. Beheaded. His head was served on a platter. The question is, how did that happen? When did that happen? Whenever we come to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. Because the last time that we saw John the Baptist was earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, when he was lifting Jesus up out of the waters of baptism. When the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove and God's voice boomed from the sky, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What happened to John? What is the story of his martyrdom? How did his head end up on a platter? Tonight, I want us to do two things. Number one, I want us to tell that story. I want us to answer that question in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, exactly how that happened, exactly how his martyrdom took place. And then, as we come to the close of our lesson, we'll consider what we can learn from this story, the story where John's head ends up on a platter. Go back for just a minute to what we talked about last week. Remember Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, where Jesus sends out his apostles on what we oftentimes call the limited commission? He sends them out to preach and teach. He sends them out with his authority to cast out demons and to heal all kinds of different diseases. He sends them out two by two to go into various villages. As they preached about Jesus, as they healed, as they casted out demons, did they accomplish their purpose? Did people hear about Jesus? Were people willing to receive them and listen to their message? Well, if you look at Mark chapter 6 and verse number 14, the Bible says that Jesus' name had become known. Everybody, it seems, when we come to Mark 6 and verse 14, had heard about Jesus. They knew Jesus' name. They were talking about Jesus. In fact, Jesus' name had become known to the point that the Bible says King Herod had even heard about Jesus. Who was King Herod. This, when you see the name Herod throughout the majority of the Gospels, it's referring to a man by the name of Herod Antipas. He was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king who was responsible for murdering all the infants in the village of Bethlehem when, they heard, when he heard that the king of the Jews was born there. When he heard that Jesus was born there, he was the one responsible for executing all of the male babies. One of his sons is who we're talking about here, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was never actually a king. He received the title of Tetrarch, which means that he ruled over a fourth of his father's kingdom whenever he died. Jesus' name had become known to the point that even King Herod had heard about him. Herod Antipas had heard the name of Jesus, but there's a problem. People knew Jesus' name, but they were confused about his identity. 
People had heard Jesus' name. Yes, Jesus' name had certainly become known, but they didn't understand who He really was. They didn't understand His identity. Like we said, it seems that everybody had an opinion on who Jesus was. Some said that Jesus was Elijah. You know, Elijah was one of the two individuals in the Old Testament Scriptures to never die. And because of that, they believed that one day Elijah was going to return. One day Elijah was going to come back. Maybe that's who Jesus is. Others thought that Jesus was one of the other prophets, like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel. But then other people thought that he was John the Baptist resurrected from the dead. John the Baptist never performed a miracle while he was living. He seems he didn't have that capability, but maybe since John the Baptist has been resurrected from the dead, he has received the ability to perform miracles, to heal diseases, to cast out demons. Well, again, let's pause right there. John the Baptist is dead? As we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, we hadn't heard about him since Mark chapter 1 where he was the head of this very powerful ministry and he's pulling Jesus up out of the muddy Jordan waters whenever he baptized him. John the Baptist is dead? They're talking about the possibility of John the Baptist being resurrected and then to add on top of that, Herod Antipas is afraid whenever he hears that? Why, Why would Herod Antipas be afraid at the thought of John the Baptist rising from the dead? When you look in verse 17, through the end of our text to verse 29, we have a flashback that fills in the blanks. We have a flashback that answers all of those questions that we have as we're reading through the Gospel of Mark. It all began with Herod Antipas, verse 17, sending for John, seizing him, binding him, and putting him in prison. Why did Herod Antipas do that? Why did he put John the Baptist in prison? Was it just for no reason? Well, if you keep reading in verse 17, it says it was for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. When you look at the Herods, they were the result of a very twisted family tree. Try to stick with me here for just a second, and I'm going to try to get this straight. Herodias, who is mentioned in verse 17, was originally Herod Antipas' niece. It was one of his brother's daughter. But then Herodias decided to marry another one of Herod Antipas's brothers named Philip. So she became his sister-in-law. But then you fast forward a few more years down the road, Herod Antipas seduces Herodias to leave his brother Philip and to marry him. Do you follow that? It goes, it's a pretty twisted family tree. You imagine what this family reunion would look like. It goes from his niece to his sister-in-law, to his wife. Now, why would he put John the Baptist in prison because of that? Why would he put John the Baptist in prison because of his marital situation? Look at verse number 18. This is what it all hinges on. It says, For John had been saying to Herod, That implies a continuous action. In other words, this isn't something that John said just one time and then he moved forward with it. This is something that he preached time and time again, over and over again. He had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It's a message of boldness, isn't it? And truly, it wasn't lawful for him to have his brother's wife. If you go back to the Old Testament, which they were living under at this time, in Leviticus chapter 18 and also Leviticus chapter 20, the Bible says that to uncover the nakedness of your 
brother's wife is sinful. It's condemned as something that is impure. And John is not afraid to point that out to him. He's not afraid to preach that message time and time again. Herod Antipas, it is not lawful for you to have that woman. It is not in step with God's law. It's not in step with God's Word for you to marry your brother's wife. He wasn't afraid to preach that message. Perhaps John the Baptist, in preparing the way for Jesus, thought in order to fully do that, he has to have the political leaders repent of their sins. And perhaps that's why he's pursuing that message. How did Herodias and Herod Antipas respond to that message? Verses 18 and 19 tells us that there were two very different responses. Herodias was infuriated. She was angry. She hated John because of that message. The Bible says in the ESV that she held a grudge against him and sought an opportunity to kill him, to put him to death. But she couldn't put him to death because of her husband, Herod. Herod had a lot of mixed emotions when it came to John the Baptist. Whenever you look at verse number 20, the Bible says that Herod feared John on one side, and then on another side, he knew that he was a righteous and holy man, so he kept him safe. He liked to listen to John. He gladly listened to John's preaching, but every single time it confused him. Every single time he was perplexed. And so he has all these different feelings and emotions when it comes to John the Baptist. Even though he imprisoned him to silence him, he was still interested in John the Baptist. He was interested in John the Baptist's message. Fast forward, we're not sure how long. Verse number 21 talks about when Herod's birthday came along. When his birthday came along, he through this great banquet where he invited everyone who would have been notable in his kingdom. He invites all of his military leaders. He invites all of his political leaders. And as they're together for this banquet, the Bible says that Herodias' daughter, who is Herod's stepdaughter, by the way, history tells us that her name was Salome, she comes and dances before Herod and his guests. More than likely, this dance was very lewd and lascivious and licentious in nature. I believe that Herod responds with lust, and that lust causes him to have a very loose tongue. Whenever Salome finishes her dance, Herod says, I'll give you anything. Just ask for it. Name it. Make a request, and I'll give you up to even half of my kingdom, he says. So Salome goes back to her mother, Herodias, now Herod Antipas's wife, and tells her what happened. Herod's granted me a request. I can ask for anything that I want. What was Herodias looking for a little bit earlier in the chapter? She hated John the Baptist. She had a grudge against John the Baptist. She was looking for an opportunity to kill John the Baptist. And so Herodias told Salome, I want John the Baptist dead. I want his head on a platter. So Salome goes back to Herod and tells him, this is what we want at once, she says. Immediately, we want you to behead John the Baptist and bring his head out on a platter. The Bible tells us that King Herod, verse 26, was exceedingly sorry when he heard that. Other translations say that he was greatly distressed, but he had made an oath. And it's not just that he had made an oath. He had made an oath in front of all of his political and military leaders. He had to go through with it. He had no other choice in his mind. 
And so that's where we go to our Scripture reading in verse 27. He sent an executioner to the prison. The executioner beheaded John the Baptist, put his head on a platter, brought that platter to Salome. Salome took the platter and brought it to Herodias, and Herodias finally got what she wanted. The head of John the Baptist on a platter. The story, the flashback, concludes with John's disciples. They come and take John's decapitated body and they put it inside of a tomb. That's catching up with John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6. Catching up with what's going on in his life in verses 14 through 29. He's been martyred, he's been beheaded, and because of a grudge that was held against him, his head ended up on a platter. I think it's important for us to know that story. It's important for us to have that story in our minds just for the knowledge of Scripture and knowing what happens to such an important character in the New Testament Scriptures. But what could be even more important is what we can learn from this story. How can we apply this story to our lives? What can we draw out of this story in Mark chapter 6 in application to our daily walks and the decisions that we make? Let me suggest four things to you as we close. Number one, this world is so confused about Jesus. Can you see that in the text of Mark chapter 6 really early on? We said that Jesus' name had become known, but they were confused about His identity. Everybody knew Jesus' name. Everybody was talking about Jesus, but they didn't know who Jesus was. They were confused about His true identity. Well, that's Elijah. We know from the book of Malachi that Elijah was going to come back. He's going to return. He never died. That, that's Elijah. Well, no, that's not Elijah. That's, that's Jeremiah. That's Isaiah. That's Ezekiel. That's one of the other prophets reincarnated. Well, no, it's not any of the prophets. Don't you guys know it's John the Baptist? John the Baptist was martyred. He was beheaded. Now he is risen from the dead. That's what Herod Antipas thought. That's what struck fear into his heart. They knew His name, but they were confused about His identity. They knew His name, but they didn't know Him truly. Fast forward 2,000 years, and that confusion hasn't cleared up at all. We live in a world that is so confused about Jesus his nature, his character, and his identity. There are a lot of people in our world who don't even believe that Jesus existed. They don't believe that Jesus even lived. Then you look at other world religions and they hold Jesus up, not as the Son of God, not as God Himself, but as some kind of prophet. A good man, a righteous man, but that's all that He was. There are even some Christian groups who claim that Jesus was created by God. Jesus is not eternal. Jesus is not on the same level as God. He's not in the Trinity, the Godhead being equal with Him in quality, but being different in function. There are a lot of individuals who believe that Jesus was flawed. Did you know, according to a Barna Research study, 50% of Americans believe that Jesus had committed some kind of sin? Did you know that? 50% of Americans believe that Jesus sinned at some point in His life, just like you and I sin. We live in a world that is so confused about Jesus. So what's the answer? What's the solution? Well, the answer, the solution is not a secret, is it? It's not something that's hidden. It's not something that we have to search for to uncover. This world is confused about Jesus, so first, we need to come to know Jesus ourselves. 
That's where it all starts. Not just knowing Jesus' name, but knowing Jesus' identity. Not just knowing facts about Jesus, but knowing Jesus personally, knowing Him intimately, forming a relationship with Him. We need to know Jesus ourselves. And then when we come to know Jesus ourselves, whenever we develop that intimate, personal relationship with Him, then we're able to help other people then we're able to serve other people. We come to know Jesus not just so that we can be saved, not just so that we can have salvation. We come to know Jesus so that we can help other people to come to know Jesus. The confusion about Jesus in the world is not going to be cleared up. The confusion about Jesus in this community is not going to be cleared up unless we are the ones who do it. I think that we can learn that from this text. Number two, Always stand up for God's law. Do you see that in the preaching of John the Baptist? Even against the king, Herod Antipas, who there was no one higher than unless you're the Roman emperor or the Roman governor, John wasn't afraid to speak the truth. John wasn't afraid to talk to Herod Antipas and to say, what you're doing isn't lawful. What you're doing isn't right. Your relationship with Herodias is a sin, Herod, and you need to know that. John the Baptist was not afraid to preach that message. He wasn't afraid to stand up for God's law. He wasn't afraid to stand up for what God had revealed in the pages of the Old Testament Scriptures. We shouldn't be afraid to stand up for God's law either. Now let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you need to go to work or school tomorrow. You need to point your finger at someone and say, hey, it's not lawful for you to fill in the blank. I saw you do it, and I want you to know that that's not lawful. I'm not sure that would be the best idea. I don't think it's our job to police the world. I don't think that it's our job to force a standard on people that they don't accept for themselves. So that's what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is this. When the opportunity arises... Have a willingness to stand up. When the opportunity arises for you to demonstrate the truth of God's Word and to hold that up in front of other people, take that opportunity. Paul said what in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to salvation for all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Do we live our lives ashamed of the Gospel? Do we live our lives ashamed of what God has revealed to us in the pages of His Word? My first couple years in high school, I played basketball. And playing basketball, when we spent time in the locker room, there were all kinds of bad things that went on. The majority of the guys used terrible language. They told dirty jokes. They talked and laughed about the sins that they were committed. They talked about girls in our school in, in ways that they shouldn't even be thinking, ways that, that were unthinkable. You know what I did? Oh, I didn't participate in it, but I also didn't say anything about it. I just sat there and watched, pretending like it wasn't happening. Do you think John the Baptist would just sit there and watch? Do you think that Jesus Christ Himself would sit there and do nothing in a situation like that? Do you think that He would be ashamed to stand up and say, this is a sin? This is not right? It's not lawful for you to do those things? If John the Baptist wouldn't do it, and to a higher degree, if Jesus Christ Himself wouldn't do it, then we shouldn't do it 
either. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Always stand up for God's law. Number three, don't expect everybody to like you. Whenever you stand up for God's law and and you stand up for what the truth teaches, you're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to salvation. Not everybody's going to like that. They didn't like it in this story. When John the Baptist stood up and he preached time and time again, it's not lawful for you, Herod, to have that woman, Herodias, hated him. She hated that message. She held a grudge against him. She wanted him dead. And when that first opportunity came for her to kill him, she did and received his head on a platter. But John the Baptist didn't preach for people to like him. John the Baptist didn't minister to be the most popular individual on the face of the planet. John the Baptist preached because he had a love for people and wanted them to be prepared for Jesus. He wanted them to be in the right relationship with the Lord. Don't expect everybody to like you. I would suggest that Herodias actually didn't hate John the Baptist. She hated John the Baptist's message. And because she hated his message, she took it out on him. He was willing to endure it. He was willing to go through it. And we should be the same way. It's human nature to want people to like us. And and, and I'm not saying that everybody should hate us. If everybody hates you when you go to work or you go to school, then the problem is not with them. The problem is probably with you, right? But the question is, who are we looking to please? What is the aim of our lives? There are going to be people, when you stand up for the truth, maybe they're not going to hate you, but they're going to hate what you stand up for. And because they hate what you stand up for, they're going to take it out on you, and we have to be willing to endure that. Paul was. When you go to Galatians 1 and verse 10, he asked a question, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Well, that's a question that we have to answer. That's a question that we have to reflect on. Am I seeking the approval of people, or am I seeking the approval of God? Sometimes those two stand in contradiction to one another. He says, or am I trying to please man? And then look at this. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, Revelation 12 says, as much as it depends on us, we should strive to live peaceably with all people. But who are we looking to please? Who are we seeking the approval of? People or God? Paul says you can't seek after the approval of people and be a servant of Jesus at the same time. Don't expect everybody to like you. When you stand up for the truth, don't expect everyone to approve of that. People don't like it when their idols are called out. People don't like it when they're called to repentance. John chapter 1 teaches us that the darkness hates the light because the light shows what's taking place in the darkness. So don't expect everybody to like you. And then number four, think before you speak. Do you think that Herod wishes he would have thought before he spoke? When Salome comes in and does a very lascivious dance before him, and he's caught up in lust, caught up in the heat of the moment, and it causes him to have a very loose tongue. Oh, just ask for what you want and I'll give it to you. Make the request. Even up to half of the kingdom. If you want it, you can be my co-ruler and I'll rule over half and you'll rule over half. Do you think if Herod Antipas would have taken two seconds to think about that, he would have taken the words and brought them back in? I mean, do you think if he would have thought about that for just saying, offering half of the kingdom 
to his stepdaughter. And what qualifies her for that is a licentious dance. You think if he would have thought about his offer for two seconds, those words wouldn't have came out of his mouth? I think that's the case. If he would have thought before he spoke, he would have saved himself a lot of heartache. Because we see a little bit later, as we talked about a little bit later in Mark 6 and verse 27, rather verse 26, the king was exceedingly sorry when the consequences of his oath came to the forefront. We have to think before we speak. James teaches us in James 1 and verse 19 that we are to be slow to speak. And if we're going to be slow to speak, we have to think before the words come out. Now I know how hard that can be. Because sometimes the words just jump off the tongue, right? Before you have a chance to even think, the words come out and you wish you could grab them and and just pull them back in. This text warns us that we need to spend some time thinking before we spend our time speaking. We need to think before we allow words to come out. And if we do that, I believe we'll save ourselves a lot of heartache. We will get rid of a lot of awkward situations and we'll put ourselves in better positions if we take the time to think before we speak. A head on a platter. That's what this story is all about. The martyrdom of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. We mentioned at the beginning of this lesson that John the Baptist, in everything he did, pointed to Jesus. In everything he did, he prepared the way for Jesus. And I think that's true even in his death. The martyrdom of John in Mark chapter 6 points us forward to a martyrdom that's going to take place about nine chapters later. John's head ending up on a platter in Mark chapter 6 points us to the moment when Jesus Christ is going to be hung on the cross in Mark chapter 15. It's amazing to think about what John did. John was willing to die for the truth. He was willing to die. He was willing to be beheaded. He was willing to be put in prison to make a stand for what's right in the Word of God. But it's even more amazing to think about what Jesus was willing to do for us. Jesus was willing to hang on the cross not just as a stand for the truth, but as a stand for us. Not just standing up for the truth of God, but granting us the opportunity to be the people of God. And maybe it's the case that you'd like to respond to that tonight. To respond to Jesus and what He was willing to do for you in His crucifixion. Become a Christian tonight. Come back to Christ tonight. If you have that need, we'd love to help you as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.